Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship. Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, our first event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 15-minute time limit. There ain't nobody. There ain't nobody in wrestling who can make me quit. And that's the bottom line, cause Stone Cold said so. Tuesday. We are what wrestling's all about. New York City here, Chicago here, Jamie on my left, Linda on my right. But I'm not telling any of the girls who I'm going to give it to in Chicago until that night. Tuesday, wrestling. Tuesday returns to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. It's Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with me, Jonathan Hood, right here. Thanks so much for being with me. You can follow me on Twitter at WrestlingTWT as well as on Instagram at WrestlingTWT as we give you pro wrestling every Tuesday night at 9.30 on ESPN 1000. If you don't catch it live on the radio on ESPN 1000, that's why we have our podcast. Every Tuesday we give you something in pro wrestling right here on TWT. A number of things we're going to talk about here. We're going to hear from Casey Joyner, who covers pro wrestling for ESPN.com. ESPN.com does have a WWE section. Casey is a frequent guest on this program. I want to get his thoughts about what happened in Toronto with NXT TakeOver as well as SummerSlam. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about the NWA. Because I thought that the uh, NWA made a very interesting announcement. You know, Dave Lagana, the vice president of the NWA, has been on this program numerous times over the years. And there's an announcement that came out last Thursday that the end of the summer, late September into early October, sounds familiar, that the NWA will start having their first TV tapings in Atlanta. The specific location of the tapings were not announced on a video that was sent out on the NWA's YouTube page by Billy Corrigan, Billy Corrigan being the president of this uh, National Wrestling Alliance. As an NWA fan, I'm excited about it because it's the brand that I grew up really enjoying in the mid-80s, uh, going into the early 90s before WCW took over. But the point is is that there's going to be this feeling of studio wrestling where it's going to be 200, maybe 300 people someplace in Atlanta. If you remember Georgia Championship Wrestling, if you remember uh, the National Wrestling Alliance, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, so many wrestling shows took place in small studios. And so it's coming back here in 2019. The NWA will have a studio show set up in Atlanta, Georgia, not too far away, apparently, from the original setting on Techwood Drive, I would believe, in Atlanta, Georgia, in the uh, in the Peach State. So Dave Lagana, the vice president of the NWA, was on Busted Open with Dave uh, LaGreca. And Dave was just on this program recently. He's my friend from Busted Open. And they talked about the National Wrestling Alliance. Uh, they're going to be in the fray with AEW, with the WWE, with other promotions, uh, running shows weekly for television. Let's hear now that conversation from Busted Open Radio. Listen, there's a lot to talk about with the NWA in the future of the NWA, because I think the future of the NWA is in very good hands, especially the way this roster is being built. But... To go back to this for a second, because it's significant, when you throw out Atlanta and you throw out, you know, studio wrestling 
And I said this on my social media platform at David LaGreca one last night, and it's the truth. I started getting phone calls and text messages from from friends. Jonathan Hood from ESPN in Chicago called me immediately because this does bring back memories of when we were growing up and falling in love with this sport. When you say Atlanta and you say studio wrestling, it is going to be nostalgic when it comes to certain wrestling fans. Well, and it's 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 what it is. We didn't buy. Uh, world class wrestling. We didn't buy ECW. We bought a we bought a brand that is very well known in a certain area for a certain time period. And I think the lesson we learned with Crockett Cup, and I put this picture up yesterday of these fathers and sons who came to Crockett Cup, and you know these fathers who are my age in their mid forties, bringing their sons to the NWA, and you know that's how this gets passed down. And I think a brand that is accessible for fathers to share with their sons. You know, what they loved is something I think in this time period is really great. And it's, again, it's not our, our sole audience target, but it's it's really a unique time to be creating this marketplace. And, you know, we've been we've been targeting this show for a while. And, and you know, the, the opportunity came up. And, you know, this is, this is Billy deciding, you know what, we're going to do it on our own. And I know a lot of people have a lot of questions on where, how, what, where, you know, why. Uh, the why is simple. We want to prove that what we've been executing for two years uh, to rebuild this brand is what you will see in the television product. So interesting news there from the NWA, from Dave Lagana. Again, that is from Busted Open. Dave LaGreca was there with Bully Ray talking about the National Wrestling Alliance. Um, so it's just happening. I, I said this months ago. It's happening. Pro wrestling across the country and around the world where you're seeing wrestling everywhere, independence, in the UK, in Mexico, uh, in Germany, all around this world is pro wrestling. And in the United States and North America, here's the NWA that has told great stories on YouTube with their champion, Nick Aldis. And now they're actually going to have shows in a studio wrestling sense. They want the wrestlers to be able to talk people into the building, to be able to draw money, draw tickets like it was back in the day. We'll see how this works out. Um, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood has done this for quite a while. And uh, will this work now in Atlanta like it did years ago? Time will tell on that. Uh, but I'm rooting for them because all wrestling is a, is a good is good for the business. It's good for fans to be able to have choices. Uh, so that's that's just tremendous. So we'll keep our eyes on that story. Uh, as far as what happened over the weekend, I was able to view NXT Takeover as well as SummerSlam, both taking place in Toronto. And usually, I would tell you that the Takeover show way better than the WWE show, but that's not the case this time. As I take a look at SummerSlam and watch SummerSlam very closely, the idea that Brock Lesnar is the universal champion and takes on Seth Rollins, where Rollins is the underdog, even though he's been champion several times, you're thinking, ah, there's no way they can come out of SummerSlam and win this thing. And Seth Rollins does win this thing. I thought that Brock Lesnar, he showed more in a loss than he did any of his squash wins that he's had over the years. Brock was a performer. He was very, very good. It's not because he lost, it's because of the story that was told. Lesnar loses, but it doesn't make him anything less. And I think that that is something that's important. I guess it doesn't mean much to him, but from a wrestling context, I think that both guys look great. Because Seth Rollins was able to to come back from 
rib injuries and getting beat down by Brock Lesnar and winning the Universal Championship, so that's pretty good. Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton is a, is a match I circled before SummerSlam started because I was wondering what would we see different from Randy Orton. I know some of you on Twitter are coming after me about my thoughts about Randy Orton, how nothing has really changed about Randy Orton over the last 15 years. I watched that match. Outside of Randy Orton telling the referee, look, I don't want to hear any more blanking or any more effing time cues because the referee, if you watch that match very closely, the referee bent in to Randy Orton to give him a time cue. And then, of course, Randy had to be bleeped because he used the F word several times uh, in that match. Uh, I, I love that he stand up to the promotion saying, I, I don't need you to give me time cues. Just let me just do my thing. I like that. But there was nothing different from Randy Orton that I hadn't seen before. Randy's going to be who he is. He's going to walk to that WWE Hall of Fame as a first ballot, whatever, and he'll do it with five moves and moving slowly in the ring. It makes him unique, but there's no second or third gear with him. Personality-wise, he's the same guy. I thought that the match he told with Kofi Kingston was very good. Um, I didn't understand why Kofi had to open up a can of whoop-ass on Randy Orton after it was a double countout using that uh, that Singapore cane going after Randy Orton. That did nothing for Kofi, but it did a lot for Randy. It made Randy look sympathetic. Don't, don't understand the booking there, but it happened. I think that Bray Wyatt is bunny. I think that this new character that he has right now is strong. I think, and here's what's going to make it really, really money. He can't be on Raw or SmackDown every week. I don't want to see him on Raw and SmackDown every week. Make it special. Let him be able to appear when he wants to appear. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be something every week because it's something every week. Then it kind of just runs the course quickly and people will be looking for something next. Uh, I just thought that Finn Balor laying down for Bray Wyatt was pretty pretty special. Um, outside of that, um, I thought Becky Lynch and Natalya, I thought that this was going to be the best match of SummerSlam. I thought it was the best story told. And it was the second best match in the card. It was surprising that Becky Lynch and Natalya went first on the main show for SummerSlam. I'm glad that it was because it started off... Uh, really hot. I thought it was a very, very good match. Natalia is much better than what we've seen over the years. She's more than just a good hand. Natalia is a very, very good wrestler and should be uh, women's champion. Uh, I really believe that she needs a long run because I love that if someone's chasing her. Uh, I know there's a lot of Becky fans that love Becky that thinks that she's like the, this generation's John Cena or Steve Austin or whatever. But Natalia deserved better, and hopefully she will get another match because I thought that they told a great story, those two. AJ and Ricochet is as good as I thought it was going to be. Ricochet, uh, odd outfit. Is that the new thing now? Is that, The only reason why he's dressed that way is to sell merch, clearly. Um, as some superhero. <laughs> so I watched, I saw him selling that uh, that leg, and I thought that was a good match. I, I can see those guys 10, 10 days out of 10. I think that those two can tell a, a terrific story. If I don't see Shane McMahon in the ring in the more, it'll be too soon. I don't need to see Shane McMahon wrestling and trying to be on par with Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is a badass, and I'm glad that Kevin was able to win that matchup. Shane is overexposed. Shane doesn't need to... Just like... I'm not going to say that he's Bray Wyatt or should be on the, along the same wavelength as Bray Wyatt, but Shane McMahon does not necessarily need to be in the ring all the time for every major show. Um, 50 years old, keep him special, should be a manager for Drew McIntyre or others, but uh, he was out there. 
and uh, waylaying on Kevin Owens. So they've told an interesting story as well. So I thought SummerSlam was a solid B for me. Um, and I'd go over to NXT TakeOver. And we talk about best match and great story told, right? No question that Gargano and Cole for the NXT Championship was the best match on the NXT show. Two out of three falls. Um, those guys tore the house down. Uh, I found it interesting that we saw a Monsters Ball NX, uh, a Monsters Ball TNA cage match in the third fall. <laughs> third fall because I haven't seen a cage match like that since we saw Abyss with that Monsters Ball cage. You know where he's got you got a baseball bat, you've got um, Singapore cane, you've got this and that attached to the cage. It's kind of like what we saw on Saturday night uh, in Toronto. Didn't matter though. I thought it was very entertaining. And uh, you see that Adam Cole retained the NXT Championship. 51 minutes of just pure gold. You're not going to get a bad match from those two. Johnny Gargano will probably possibly be on the main roster. Here's something that's disappointing, right? And it's, it's just all about storytelling. Those two went to hell and back. 51 minutes on NXT TakeOver, right? The next day... They're on the couch for that watch-along for SummerSlam. If you watch it on Periscope or on the WWE.com, and they were fresh as a daisy, like nothing happened. That's the thing that's so crazy. Like, you wrestled for 51 minutes, and you went to hell and back. It looked crazy at the end of that match. Those two shouldn't be on TV for the next couple of weeks. Next day, they're on the couch eating popcorn, laughing along, watching SummerSlam. That's just the difference between the business in 2019 and, like, even 10 years ago. Strange, but... Uh, but in the ring, they were terrific. I thought that uh, Candice LeRae and Io Shirai was the best story told on TakeOver. There was no let-up matches. Everything on this on this card, from Street Profits and Undisputed Era to Dunn, Velveteen Dream, and Roddy Strong for the North American title, Mia Yim and Baszler, all these matches were... There was nothing less than a B+. Everything was an A or a, or a B+. It was a really, really typical of a Triple H takeover. That's not surprising. But I think all those matches that we saw were very, very good. Or if not, great. The main event was great. There's no doubt with Gargano and Cole. And, and, but then you see Larray and Shirai, you think that's your let-up match. And that those two really went after it. They were, they were really, really strong. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Almost want to put them on the same par as Gargano and Cole as far as storytelling in the ring. But I thought that those two told a great story. So I, once again, and I think that TakeOver was an A-. minus, And maybe that's because of um, Mia Yim against Shayna Baszler. Maybe that, that was a little bit of a step back. But I thought that overall that was about an A-. minus. At worst, a B plus, and I think that uh, SummerSlam was a B, so, you know, somewhere in there, like a solid B uh, for SummerSlam. So I, I enjoyed both shows. We we have so much consternation and so much bitching and complaining about storytelling and storylines when it comes to the WWE product, but when it comes to big shows like WrestleMania and SummerSlam, uh, more times than not, you're going to be more satisfied than dissatisfied with the product. You may not like what you see on Raw every Monday night, and God bless you for you guys watching it for, uh, for, for, you know, three straight hours. I can't do it every Monday night like you guys can. But you know, when you watch so much WWE programming, you see so many, so many stories that are just weird and odd and off-putting. And then you have shows like Takeover, and you have shows like uh, we saw with SummerSlam. 
it all comes together and, and the wrestlers perform. And I thought uh, that was a very, very solid weekend for the WWE in Toronto. We turn now to Casey Joyner, who covers professional wrestling for ESPN.com. You can find his columns on the WWE section of ESPN.com. And KC joins me, Jonathan Hood, right here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. KC, as always, I appreciate your time. Before we talk about TakeOver in Toronto and also SummerSlam, we haven't talked in a while, so let's talk about Harley Race. The passing of the eight-time NWA champion Harley Race. I want to get your thoughts on your memories of Harley Race. The fondest memories of Harley, I, we, my buddy and I actually uh, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and there's uh, an arena there called the IMA, and uh, the wrestlers one time had a, uh, you know, a show, and, and they came out afterwards, and, and their cars, you could reach their cars in the parking lot. This is how old school it was, probably mid-80s, like we were just talking, and uh, and uh, me and my buddy and I went over and actually introduced ourselves to Harley, and things. you could see, he's like, what are you guys doing bugging me near my car and such, but... That's the personal I have with him. But the thing that stands out about Harley when you read all the wrestling autobiographies and you read the histories, the wrestlers, he was the toughest guy in the business, and not just, okay, in-ring tough and all that, as in wrestlers legitimately were scared of him. Flair said he was the toughest guy he ever faced. Piper said he was scared of him. Heenan said if you ever have trouble, uh, inside of, if you ever trouble at your hotel and things, whatever it was, get Harley. He'll take care of it. And even Hogan one time, when uh, the old story of uh, when the uh, WWF was invading the Kansas City territory that Harley was part owner of, and the story goes, as I understand it, that Harley went over to the uh, the Kansas City arena. I guess there's a lot of versions of it, but Hogan, in his autobiography, one of his autobiographies, he said, I want to say this delicately, he was um, he was in the bathroom stall using the restroom, and somebody came in and said, Harley's on his way. He said he jumped right up, didn't even finish what he was doing, and just ran out to meet him because he was so scared that Harley was going to come to the arena. So wrestlers were, when he came off cross as, I'm a legitimate tough guy, and, I, and I'm, I'm the toughest and baddest guy in the ring, when he said that, people believed it because it was true, and the wrestlers certainly knew it was true because he was, he, was, he was respected and feared. So many KC have talked about Harley Race in these terms, just saying that, I mean, you're talking about a, a champion that was giving. You know, we know this about Ric Flair, where he would give a lot of offense to his opposition because he wanted to make the territory better, make that wrestler better. But apparently Harley was like that as well. I mean, here's a guy that lost the championship to Tommy Rich and gave it to him for eight days and gave it back because it was best for the Georgia Territory at the time. So I, what resonates with me with Harley is is that not only a, a terrific performer, but also gave a lot to promotions because like the typical NWA champion, he traveled and made other territories better. I, I have to wonder if part of that was because when he wins his first title, there's that famous story that uh, a Dory Funk Jr. is the NBA champion, and he doesn't want to lose the belt to Jack Briscoe because they're both shooters, and he didn't want to think, think like Briscoe was going to be a better shooter and things. Whatever it was, he didn't want to lose the belt. And so they had to hardly be the interim champion there for a few months. And Harley gets over so well as an interim champion for a few months that they say, okay, we need to get him into the into the title picture down the road. So a couple of champions later, he you know he beats. Uh, I mean, in fact, I remember uh, as a kid watching uh, watching when he beat watching the the highlights of him beating Terry Funk for the belt in Toronto. It was something it was, you know, we we were amazed that hey, here we're seeing a title change. But he had done he had worked well as an interim champion for a few months and then come back and kept his heat. And so you said, oh, I think that back then they said, okay, usually if the t- champion lost the title, it was, oh, the champion can't lose the title and keep his heat. And they'd seen Harley could do it. Harley only held the belt for a few months, and he was still a hot rusher. We could still pitch him as being 
<laughs> excuse me, championship level material. So let's go ahead and uh, and have him do that again. We know if we have him lose it to, Terry, to Tommy Rich, if we have him lose that, that it's not going to be something that he can't overcome. So I think it was a matter of he changed what the belt could be because he could keep his heat even when he lost. He gave the championship uh, to a, a hot baby face called Ric Flair. He was ready to he was ready to give the title up at that point in time after seven eight uh, reigns. Casey, I think that he was ready. He saw Ric Flair as a guy that can be able to carry that torch and willing to travel across the the world and and so the um, it, the legacy didn't end there because he still had a run with um, with Vince McMahon the WWF, which is so strange because as as folklore goes, unless Thatcher told the story. He said that when Vince wanted to take get his you know take over the world and go national with his brand, that he went to Harley Race and wanted Race to be able to drop the uh, NWA championship to the WWF champion at the time in Hulk Hogan, and Race refused. And apparently Vince made a move. I mean, like wanted to fight Race because of his refusal, and Race took him down. <laughs> so I mean, it's just the stories are endless when it comes to Harley. You're the guy that was the NWA champion and uh, want, want to prove everybody that like he's the guy. I just the stories for Harley are just amazing to me. It's amazing that when Ric Flair goes to Japan and he, uh, they were afraid of a double cross. He goes to Japan one time in the early '80s, I believe it was. And they're afraid, okay, well, the, 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 the Japanese are going to try and actually send someone in the ring to be a shooter to, to beat Flair. Even though Flair had been a, a collegiate, he'd been, he was a collegiate champion, not at Minnesota. He was like a prep-level champion. So he was still a solid wrestler, but <clears throat> I don't think anybody would say that Ric Flair was a, was a true shooter. So they were afraid of Double Cross, and they said, well, who can we send with, with Flair to make sure that he doesn't lose the title? They sent Harley. <laughs> they said, he's our guy. That, and you wouldn't think if you looked at the, the roster back then, if you, were, if you were a fan and you didn't know, you'd look and be like, I wouldn't know that Harley would be the toughest guy. But okay, we're not going to have If a shooter goes in that ring and tries to do something with Flair, Harley's going to be able to go in there and stand up for Flair. So it was incredible that he could do that. And that, that, that Vince would evidently try and, <clears throat> and, and, and take on Harley. I mean, Harley was considered... He would be. He wouldn't be considered what in wrestling parlance they call a hooker. A hooker would be a wrestler who knows how to use what they call hooking moves, mm-hmm. true submission moves. Guy like uh, Luthes was a hooker. People like Kurt Angle would be a hooker. Somebody who knows how to use the kind of moves that can make somebody a truly tap out. But he'd be what they call a shooter, which is a person who could stand up in a what they call a shoot match, which is a, a match where they're actually trying to, you know, if you're, you're trying to actually beat the other guy in a real fight and. It's Harley would be considered among the toughest of the shooters in his day, in fact, probably in wrestling history, so that Vince would uh, would try to fight him. Says something for Vince that he'll take on whoever he has to take on. It says something for Harley that he could uh, he could fight him off. <laughs> Casey Joyner from ESPN.com. You can find the WWE section on ESPN.com. It's uh, one of the latest is about the WWE SummerSlam results and some of the commentary there. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. Casey, I usually would start with weekends like this with NXT TakeOver, over, but I will start from the top. I will start with SummerSlam. I want to find out your thoughts and your overall grade of SummerSlam in Toronto. It's one of those where it's if you go back in the days and watch the old Nitros or the old Raws, let's take the old WWF Raws, <clears throat> and you know you remember Stone Cold and The Rock and how great those shows were, and yeah, they're fantastic shows, but if you go back and watch them, 
the main event is fantastic, and the rest of the card really wasn't that good. And we remember the main event because that's the one thing they wanted you to remember. So you can remember all these different great endings of the show that they had with with these with these wrestlers and Kurt Angle, you know, with his with the beer and the milk and all. They remember all these things years later because of how great they were. But a lot of times the show building up to it wasn't anywhere near as good. That's what this was. The show really leading up to it was it had some high spots and such, but it really wasn't a great show. And yet you get to that main event, and you get to, to Lesnar uh, grabbing Seth by the by the by the tape and, and swinging him around and throwing him in the air, and and Lesnar looking like an absolute dominant beast and st- and still putting Rollins over. It's the kind of thing that you know in a few weeks we'll be talking about that and pretty much forget everything else is on the show. But <clears throat> that that's a formula that worked back in the Raw days, and it can work today as well. As long as your main event is that strong, doesn't matter how good your undercard is. You know, Brock Lesnar, Casey, showed me more in a loss than any of his squash wins. I, I mean, because you saw that match the way it was laid out. Takes the glo- He takes his uh, gloves off and looks like that he's going to take it into another gear. And he gave so much to Seth Rollins. There's some respect there from Lesnar and Rollins where Rollins didn't have like this last second victory. There was a lot of give and take there. And I thought that for the times that we've seen Lesnar lose, and it's not very often in the WWE, I thought that he showed a lot in in that matchup where it's almost like a renewed respect for this guy that he he drops title once again to Seth Rollins. He's one of those rare people that in the business that you'll find that <clears throat> excuse me that uh he can lose a match and he can lose his title and and still not lose his heat like we talk of uh, the the four horsemen are still people talk about them to this very day Tully Blanchard signing with AEW Flair shows up at Raw reunion Flair shows up yesterday I mean <clears throat> the four horsemen are are still remembered well to this very day because of how strong they were and that was one of their strengths in their day was that they could go out on I remember uh, going to uh, an event one time where when uh, Ronnie Garvin beats Flair for the title in Detroit <clears throat> I remember being at that show, and even though the Four Horsemen were in an eight-man tag match, and they all lose in their eight-man tag match and get their tails kicked by Dusty and his 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 minions, and Flair loses the title, even you'd start watching the show that next week, and Flair lost the title. But we all thought, yeah, Garvin's rent the title, and all the Horsemen still had their belts, so they still kept their heat, even though they just got their tails kicked. It's the same thing with Lesnar, the way they do it. You can't do it to quite the same extent they do with the horseman. He can't lose quite as much, but when he loses, as long as he's losing in the right way, and he still had some great power moves in that match. He still showed, hey, I'm still the beast, and I can still do all these fantastic moves. He can still, his character is handled in such a way that he can take a loss like this, clean loss. Hey, you you lost. You got curb stopped what, three times, I think it was. You get curb stopped three times, and you lose square in the middle of the ring. And yet, if he's on the next pay-per-view, if he's on the next big show, you're going to want to go see it because that's he's the kind of guy who he can lose and keep his heat. So the WWE recognizes that, and that's why they're putting him in this position. But it's a unique position for them to have because most of the wrestlers can't get that kind of heat or can't get that kind of uh, a crowd reaction in any event. And he can do it if he wins or loses. Casey, there is a such thing, for, from my standpoint, is a best match and a best story told. And so, as we talk about Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins once again becoming the Universal Champion, it's great. But I bet I think the best story that was told was Becky Lynch and Natalya. I kind of thought that this was going to be the best match in the card, and I was wrong. I think the main event for SummerSlam was. But I, I just think that Natalya, who unfortunately has kind of fallen into this good hand 
as Jim Ross would say, she's a good hand, um, almost a, a Dolph Ziggler-like role where Natalia should have been able to be multiple-time champion and carrying that thing as a heel as long as she wanted to, but she hasn't really been that. I thought that the build and the match was very solid. I, I agree. I agree that they, they have... <clears throat> so think you can talk about this entire entire show and entire, the, all the entire uh, uh, rosters. You can say, look how great of storytellers that they have, and yet they don't let the wrestlers tell the story. I, one thing that kills me about today's WWE is they've got wrestlers so they can do long-term builds with. You can get them to tell short-term stories, but they do so many short-term stories. I want to see them start to do more of these long-term builds because, honestly, the reaction that I was at Raw Reunion, the <clears throat> Raw Reunion show down in Tampa a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. all the great superstars, I, all the, I mean, I got to actually interview Stone Cold, I got to interview Hogan, I got to interview The Miz. I mean, it was, you know, <clears throat> really cool to see all those guys, and it was everybody's backstage. It was it neat to take all that in, and went out in the arena to see it. And there's a buzz for everybody that was there, and yet when the, the new play, the new wrestlers, you know, when you got the old school wrestlers, the crowd was reacting, and the new school wrestlers come out, and they weren't reacting nearly as well. The talent level is here. It's not like the guys today can't do a lot of the things that people could do back in the with you know Raw and you know, Raw's in two thousand where Stone Cold the Rock were selling. They can still do these things. It's just you've got to give them the kind of stories to to tell. And you've got to do some long term stories. You've got to make wins and losses matter. So you've got to do a lot of things that there are pro wrestling that Vince doesn't like to do. But I think long term storytelling is the one thing. Have a have a few couple of wrestlers who you're gonna you know, maybe they'll have a a feud over a long period of time. Don't have a feud. Don't have a feud immediately come to a head like 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 Kofi and that. Why did they have Kofi uh, after the match? Why did he get it? You know, he, they, they have the count out and then he comes back in and and then and then, and then gets and, and then you know takes away the heat from uh, from what just happened with the count out. Let that story tell out. Let that story play out over a period of weeks and months because AEW is going to be doing that. They're going to tell longer term stories and you need to be able to combat that. You didn't, yeah, at the end of the, the world title match with Kofi Kingston and, and Randy Orton, you didn't make Kingston more of a badass. You made Randy Orton a babyface. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> see, see what, I mean, that's that's just wrestling logic. Like, okay, so it, here's a guy that's smiling and throwing pancakes, and all of a sudden he just he becomes a badass and he uses his cane shots on Randy Orton. Well, that that did nothing for Kofi, but it did a, a lot for Randy Orton in that one. So that was just it. And by the way. I, and I've asked this to numerous guests, and so I'll ask you: Is is Kofi Kingston over, Casey? Um, the crowd wants him to be over. That's a, a, a big, big part of it. He gets a crowd reaction. The crowd wants him to be over, but they need to tell the types of stories that get him over. That's the way it is with a lot of the talents. They want these people to be over. They want them like. Uh, when it comes, we talk about Lesnar. One of the reasons that Lesnar is over is because they tell the types of stories to get him over. He is a dominant heel or dominant babyface, and he goes out there, he's, he you know, just destroys people like Goldberg did back in his day, and Goldberg even did against Ziggler. I mean, that's what that's what you want out of him. The crowd wants certain things out of Kofi Kingston, and if you give them what they want with Kingston, he gets over. But if you keep switching them back and telling inconsistent stories, they're not sure what type, you know, what they should think of this Kofi Kingston character. And if that's the case, if you're unclear of what you want to, uh, to get out of a character, the audience is not going to be clear either. Any other match that stood out to you in SummerSlam before I ask you about TakeOver? Um, I, I liked... I like what to do with Goldberg. I wish I could see more of Goldberg. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, oh, for God's it's, sakes! <laughs> I mean, that's I, a, I mean, I, okay. He he got his win back. I mean, he got a, he. It's it's a better performance than a performance against the Undertaker. That's enough of Goldberg. That's enough. 
That's enough. I guess I'm old school. I, I, but I like the idea that you can have these sort of dominant matches. I like that sort of. I mean, that's what I. That's what I like to see. I want to see those sorts of things. That's, that's, and, and I because it's because it's distinctive, intelligent, direct storytelling. So maybe if they have somebody else, let's put it this way. Give somebody else that Goldberg role, and then fine, go ahead and retire Goldberg. Give somebody else that role, and let them be in that role consistently. Then I'll really be uh, be fired up for it. Can I tell you something? If Shane McMahon hit me the way he hits Kevin Owens, he'd get potatoed right back. Like I think Kevin hit him in the face on purpose a couple times. Look, kid, like you're 50 years old and you have no finesse, and you're giving me body punches that are legit. And you know, and and, and Shane McMahon's got a purple face. He's like blown up in like two minutes. With that great body, he still looks like he's about to die in there with that purple face. But nevertheless, if he hits me like like he hits Kevin Owens, it's gonna be a real fight. You know, if you if he still can't throw a working punch, KC, that's not good enough for me. We'd be, we'd have it out. <laughs> not at this time, and honestly, McMahon has enough. He's got enough draw. He's good, he gets enough. The fans care about him. They they still when you know they they still like to see him out there. They still he still gets a reaction. But he's the type of guy that you almost should use him. I don't know if it's a managerial role or how you could do it, but it's the sort of thing where you need to see him. You need to see him in the short burst. You don't want to put him in a match where he's starting to expose himself for the lousy punches and he he's not in the kind of shape that he should be to, to be wrestling matches. So put him out there in some sort of <clears throat> some sort of managerial role or some sort of role of that nature, an interfering manager. We don't see that much anymore. It's the thing WWE doesn't like to do because Vince doesn't like to do all these things that reminds him of pro wrestling, like. Hey, let's concentrate on tag teams. Hey, let's do. There's a lot of things that they do that they've gone away with over these. Let's not have time limits. Don't have time limits. They help to tell stories. Same thing with him. You could put him back in the some sort of heel manager role. He's a great talker. If you put him in there to interfere in a match or something of that nature, or put him in against another interfering manager, you know, babyface manager could stop him. You could have him do those little high spots that could get him over and keep his character fresh. But when you put him out there and say we're going to have a wrestle a match with him, it just exposes what he can't do, and that's not something that WWE needs to be doing right now because, again, they've got <clears throat> AEW is going to have the kind of quality wrestling I think that WWE is going to need to uh, – uh, they're going to need to step their game up. In fact, I think that's part of the reason they had the main event they did because they realized we need to have something people are talking about because people keep talking about AEW and we don't want that. Casey Joyner from ESPN.com with me, Jonathan Hood, here on Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday, as we review the weekend that was in Toronto with uh, the NXT TakeOver show in Toronto as well as SummerSlam. Let's, so we go from sports entertainment to pro wrestling now, Casey, as we talk about <laughs> NXT. Um, once again, there's a difference to me between a great story told and the best match. The best match is is clearly the NXT title matchup with Johnny Gargano against Adam Cole, the two out of three falls matchup for the NXT title. But I think the best one of the best stories that were told on that show was Candice LeRae against Io Shirai. I that surprised me. That's supposed to be a let up match, the second match in the card. But I, they, there was it seems like NXT had their foot on the gas the entire time. There was no let up match for this, and I thought that LeRae and Shirai. I think they tore the house down. I think they're very good. I saw the Yoshirai. <clears throat> My wife and I went to um, the uh, May Young Classic here over there. I live in Orlando near where uh, the Winter Park is uh, for um, probably I'm like a 20-minute drive away from where they, uh, the training center is. And so when they had the, uh, the May Young Classic, went over there to cover both sets of matches. My wife doesn't really watch wrestling anymore. She did back in the day, but she'd be what you'd term as a lapsed fan. So we went to go see night one, took me and the kids and her and over there. And then day two was just my wife and I went. Day one was a nice set of shows and things, but day two... 
it might have been one of the, in fact, it well, not might have been, it was one of the best shows I've ever been to. And mind you, I've been to Royal Rumbles, I've been to WrestleManias, I've been to, yeah, I saw that, that Flair uh, Garvin match. I mean, I've been to some big cards in my life, and that was one of the best shows I've ever seen. And maybe, arguably, and my wife, by the way, I mentioned her on that, she was actually fired up at that show. Like, didn't care about wrestling that much, and by the end, she's like, wow, this was pretty awesome. Like, this is the sort of thing I would watch and go to on a regular basis if it, you know, if it was available to me. So, but at that show, Io Shirai might have been the best wrestler on that Mae Young Classic. And the thing is, she could she switched in the in those matches. You could see there were times she was playing babyface and times she was playing heel. And you could see it just partially by how she wrestled and partially by how she did her facial contortions or how she how she looked. If she looked a particular way and she wanted to look heelish, she could look it and she looked babyface. She wanted to look babyface in ring style. I mean, she is an absolute superstar. And that they've toured on the house is not surprising. What's surprising to me is that Mae Young Classic was that long ago, and Io Shirai is having this kind of match. Why isn't she on the main roster, and why aren't you pushing her to the moon? Because if she's tearing the house down here, you put her at SummerSlam, she could do the same thing. I agree with you, and I thought that Cancel Ray was very was very good in that, too. That was a different level we saw from her, too, um, the wife of Johnny Gargano. And so the best match was Gargano against Cole again, no surprise, two out of three falls. Did you believe... In your heart of uh, wrestling hearts, Casey, that it was it was too much, or was it just right? Fifty one minutes, two out of three falls, three different type of matches. Uh, the uh, somehow that uh, event evolved into like a, a TNA cage match with all the gimmicks and stuff attached to the cage. What'd you think? I think you remember back in the day <clears throat> they would have sixty minute matches. I remember at one time. Um, Oh, there was a, Rick Flair was wrestling with a guy named Charlie Cook. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll tie this in in just a second. There's a guy named Charlie Cook in Florida who was yeah. the Florida champion. Charlie Cook was a really limited wrestler. I mean, he really he's a mid carter, and <clears throat> due to circumstances, they moved him up to become a championship level in Florida. And Flair's doing his his run around the circuit, and he goes down to Florida to face Charlie Cook, and he has to get an hour out of this guy. And this is Ric Flair, arguably the greatest wrestler of all time, and can work matches against anybody. And even they even say that Flair could have a match against a broom, and it, he would still make the broom look good. Flair gets out of the match with Charlie Cook from 60 Minutes. <clears throat> I don't know if it was a Broadway or if it was just a close to 60 Minutes he won at the end. I think he won at the end, but it was a really long match, probably about as long as this match was. And he said, I think he said it in his autobiography, he went back to the locker room afterwards and saw the booker and took the heavyweight championship and threw it at him and said, you go have 60 Minutes with this guy. Like He was so frustrated because he knew he couldn't tell his story <laughs> with Charlie Cook. You can have, and I think today we think you can't have long matches because it's so hard to tell that type of story. You can if you've got a head of call Johnny Gargano. You can do it if you have the wrestlers who can pull it off. You can still have that 60-minute match, and you don't have Flair throwing the belt of the booker. You have guys who are having you know, a fantastic match on a fantastic card. So I think, it's, I think that they allow them to do this. Again, keep coming back to this. You see this, and you go, okay, WWE, why don't you have this match on it at a SummerSlam? Why don't you have this 51, this sort of a match, this style of match? If not with these two, I think you could do it with these two. But if not with these two, why don't you have this sort of a match on, 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 at SummerSlam when you big adventure or something of that nature? Because if you're going to have a long card, great. Have a great 50-minute match where fans are on the edge of their seats for most of the match. That's what you should do. So I'm hoping that what they do here eventually, God, I hope it gets up to the, to the upper levels because uh, they, the main roster could use more of the kind of story telling they have in NXT. 
Only problem is once they get up to the main roster, can they, are they allowed to give those type of stories? And le- at least with Triple H, he understands pro wrestling. And we, we're, we're having two different conversations here. We just talked about sports entertainment. And now we're talking about pro wrestling. And, and so pro wrestling and sports entertainment does not uh, intersect on the main roster. And that's the problem. It doesn't because Vince's, Vince's idea, Vince has a Hollywood idea of what pro wrestling should be. He doesn't like to call it pro wrestling. In fact, they literally, this is true, if you're backstage at a WWE event and somebody says wrestling, they'll jokingly get told, no, 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 don't say wrestling. It's, it's sports entertainment. I've seen it happen. And you go, wow, that's a, you think that's just stories they're telling. No, it's true that you're not supposed to use <clears throat> the word wrestling in, in anything that you say. It's supposed to be sports entertainment. So since they view it that way, they view this as something that's not their, their regular product. And I think that fans want this product. I think that, they, that the idea that Vince has is that I don't think the NXT product, he's a niche product, I don't think it could succeed on a, on a larger level. AEW is doing it, doing a similar style of wins and losses matter, there's physicality, things of that nature. A lot of those elements, storytelling elements that you see at NXT are the same type of things that AEW is doing. They've got a national TV contract. They're selling out every one of their pay-per-views in, in record time. In fact, they're breaking the, the ticket, they're breaking Ticketmaster's site and things. They can't even, people can't even get in to get the, the tickets and such. So I think WWE is eventually going to have to do that, and I think Vince hiring uh, 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 Heyman and and Bischoff as part of you know as a way to possibly transition to that, but I kept thinking when he hires him and Bischoff, it's like why if you wanting to push the Fox show coming football season, why didn't you bring uh, why, why don't you have uh, a Triple H come up here? Why don't you let him do that? And it makes me wonder if that uh, I don't think maybe he still wants doesn't want to do that sort of storytelling. We're going to find out real soon if WWE's Hollywood storytelling works or if the other storytelling works, and if the, and if NXT and, and AEW if that storytelling works. WB is going to have to change what they're doing on the main roster because if their ratings are down in Fox, the Fox is going to tell me you better do something. Also on the NXT TakeOver show, we saw Mia Yim take on the fabulous Moolah. I'm sorry, Shayna Baszler. Um, <laughs> Baszler can wrestle in any era, right? I mean, they've worked around – see, that's, that's the wrong – I'm not going to say work around because that's not fair. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is with Shayna Baszler, her style seems to be adaptable for the for for the NXT where she's not a high flyer she's an in-ring uh, on the mat grappler and th- that's is it almost an old school style that seems to work i'm not sure who's beating Shayna Baszler anytime soon i was talking with uh uh Paul uh Paul Levesque about after the uh, i got an interview with him after that uh show of the uh the Mae Young Classic and talked to him about the different types of storytelling <clears throat> said hey uh we do, this was, you know, this because he asked me what I think of the show. I said it was great. I said it was like kind of a combination of old school and new school. So that's what we're aiming for. He said we there are a lot of old school mat techniques. He didn't use that term, but that's what he was getting. A lot of mat techniques and a lot of, uh, in fact, he did say that like nerve holds and things, things that were big back in the day, and you saw used a lot and got over. People stopped using them after a while, and he said, now we're starting to use them because what's old is new. People looking at even the wrestlers are like, wow, that is so awesome to do that sort of move. And and, and Paul said, you know, I, I, we saw it back in the day, so it's, it's kind of old to us, but because it's new to them, they can still use it. And you see somebody like Baser who can do a lot of that that ground technique. People, you know, It's like people think that, that ground technique can't get over because everybody does the aerial stuff, and if you're really good and can p- tell the proper stories when the ground technique, it can work. In fact, it reminds me of something that Bob Backen told me one time where I mentioned uh, uh, something about rest holds, and he corrected me. He's like, no, no, no. He said, there's no such thing as a rest hold. I said, what do you mean? 
He said, if you're in a hold where somebody's got you on the ground and somebody's got you in a headlock or something of that nature, he said, you can rest if you want to. He said, but that's not the idea. What you're supposed to be doing if you're in the headlock is trying to fight your way out of it and fight your way out of it and fight your way out of it. And you should be able to tell that story to the crowd that I'm trying to get out of whatever this is. So even if you're resting, you should still be working. You may be catching your breath, but you should still be able to tell a story on the ground. We don't want to see side headlocks and people on the ground the way they were back in the day quite to that extent. But ground resting can still work if you're committed to telling the story and if you've got somebody who could do it Baze is one of those who can casey lastly i've got i've got two here one in nxt and one in wwe i'm looking forward to seeing here moving forward one of them is the velveteen dream the north american champion who i just think is absolute money he's just destined for the the next step for being on the main roster and this this bray wyatt character i think both of those guys are money i think they're great I think that Bray Wyatt character, what they're doing with him to make him <clears throat> uh, the character he is now, it's there's an old rule that where if you're going to be something, if you're going to be a character of that nature, you've got to go 100%. Like uh, if you're going to be the Undertaker, if you're going to, in fact, was I think the old rule is that if you've got the in front of your name, if you're the Undertaker, you have to be 100% committed to that role. You can't just go part way. You have to be 100% committed, or it doesn't get over. You just then make a 100% commitment. I think Bray Wyatt is making that commitment to this character, <clears throat> and it's it, he fits it so well. And plus, what he's done now in getting in better shape and such, I think it's going to allow him to tell different types of stories that maybe conditioning might have been an issue before, but now it won't be necessarily an issue. So when you combine those elements together, and plus, you can see the WB has a clear idea. I don't know if it's because he has an idea of what he wants to do, or if they have the idea, or it's just a combination of the two. They know what they want that character to be. And once you know what you want that character to be, and you can tell clear stories, again, there's no confusion to the crowd. This is what we want it to be. It's getting over. Let's keep doing it. I think that's the, the sky's the limit for that character. And Velveteen Dream, I agree, fantastic. What are they going to do? Are they going to change him when he goes to the main roster? And I still... Velveteen with the name, are people going to think, as, as I've heard, that you know the joke is, is it Velveeta? You don't want that connection, so maybe he has to change his name, and if he does, I think it could still work, but you've got to make sure that you're clear about what you want out of this character. So love the talent. I just think that they're going to have to uh, maybe make adjustments to him and, and, and make sure that when he goes to the main roster, he can still tap into the same things he's tapping into in NXT, because if they may change him too much, uh, it could be an adjustment period, and adjustment periods don't work well for newbies on the roster. He's smooth like butter. He's Velveteen Dream. <laughs> right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. All right. What is, what's the next piece you're working on? Because there's, I mean, there's a lot. Here this fall, the, I, I think that you're going to be the busiest you've ever been on the wrestling side because all of these companies, NWA starting up soon with their in-studio wrestling. Uh, MLW is on fire right now. Uh, Ring of Honor. Uh, some some struggles here and there, but they're still viable. Impact Wrestling, I hear there's a new TV contract, WWE with SmackDown, AEW's starting in October. I mean, there's a lot, Casey. What, where, where are you going to aim your uh, your next story? I think I really, I'm trying to see if I can do some stuff in AEW because they've got some, uh like to do something with... Uh... I get some uh, things from Tony Khan and some other people in the company as far as what their what their how their business approach is and how their business approach is going to be different. Trying to uh, do something of that nature, we're going to be covering some things like that. And also, I'm curious to see, and I think we're going to be covering or uh, we're going to be covering things like what the WWE is going to do when they get with Fox. I mean, they've got they have to on that Friday night slot. 
they need to bring in about 4 million people. So if you take what's, uh, what they're getting on, on Raw right now, Raw this past Monday or yesterday did, I think the ratings came out, uh, as I saw, looking at uh, Dave Meltzer said, I believe they were just short of 2.7, 2.8 million for the Monday night show. Yeah. And <clears throat> if you're at 2.8 million right now and you move that and you move your main show to Friday and the Friday shows right now on Fox are drawing 4 million, you have to draw at least that much. If you don't, it wasn't worth it to Fox to, 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 to get the agreement with WWE. So they need to find a way to spike to another $1.2 million. And it would be curious to see what they do to get there. Are they going to hot shot? Are they going to develop new talents? I mean, they have plenty of talent, both on the main roster and at NXT. They have a ton of talent that they can go with. How are they going to go about pushing that talent? And is the battle with AEW, is that potential television battle, is that going to make for another it won't be a Monday Night War, per se, but it's going to be similar to them. If it is, will WWE step up and, and improve their game? Because I think they do need to improve their game. They've got some high spots right now, but they need to be more consistent across the board and they need to have those sorts of caliber main events that did uh, you know, for SummerSlam. They need to have those on a regular basis because if they're not having those sorts of things on a regular basis, I think it could be a, a tough battle for them, a tougher battle than the original Monday Night War was. My friend, as always, I appreciate your time. Oh, by the way, I, I got to get this in. I got to get, get your thoughts on fantasy football because today's the day, right? If people want to get in, 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 connected with you on fantasy football, you got something special for them, do you not? Yeah, well, for, for fantasy football, we've got uh, – if you go to uh, ESPN.com, you can check out on the, <clears throat> the site there. We've got sleepers and bust and breakout players. We had the, uh, the big marathon yesterday, and people could actually see it going across the screen. They showed all of our picks, but if you didn't happen to see it at the uh, – at the uh, for the the marathon, you can go to ESPN.com and find those sleepers bust and all that. The top player right now, if I could highlight one player out of that whole list, and I would say this is somebody you really want to pay attention to. I think Deshaun Jackson. He's going as a wide receiver. I think it's a wide receiver five in most leagues. He's in the 40 range of wide receivers. So depending if you're 10 or 12 team league, he's either a four or a five. That's where he's at. I think he belongs more like. A wide receiver 22 and maybe push as much as 20 because that's going to be a vertically based offense. He had fantastic vertical numbers last year, like the schedule. As long as Carson Wentz stays healthy, this he should be the top vertical target on that team. And in that kind of an offense, you could easily be a three and possibly even a wide receiver too. So somebody who's really going to be a value pick if you take him later. And you could even argue about taking him in the 30s in the wide receiver spot, and you'd still be getting plenty of bang for your buck. Casey, I'm glad you spent some time. Thanks so much for coming on. Let's come on this fall because we got a lot to talk about here starting in October. Sounds like a plan.